Jesus, but I've been so excited about this particular service. It was a year ago. I was here and taught a lot about prayer for the first time that you did this and left right after that for France. I was in a uh, church in Moyuse, France, right on the border of Switzerland. I wasn't ready for it. It seated 2,000 people. It's the size of this building, actually a little bit bigger, packed to capacity with French, Swiss, German, and, Bra- and Belgium uh, people full of the Spirit, and they were fasting. And it was really amazing. Five days they come together and they just fast on this campus. There's no food. And they meet for about eight or nine hours, three or four hours in the morning, three or four hours in the afternoon and evening. And it just turned into something. After three days, the glory of God just came in the room. And uh, I really kind of got a little bit of a, a word uh, from that meeting. And then, of course, being at Dr. Cho's all these years, he has that little tiny church, 750,000 people over there in Korea. And when they pray, you know, it sounds like a waterfall. They have to ring a bell and get people to stop. It's, it's just a little bit different than us here in America. We're just learning. We're growing in prayer and, and how to do that. But I've, I've just had on my heart a word for you, particularly about confident prayer. Confident prayer. And there's a verse in Acts Chapter 4 and verse 29, I gave you an outline when you walk in. There's a few blanks there. Don't backslide if you miss a blank. It's okay. You'll be okay. But Acts 4, 29, take care of their threats. These are the apostles praying with all the congregation. They were under siege by the, by the Pharisees. Take care of their threats, Lord, and give your servants, this is Living Bible, fearless confidence. Everybody say fearless confidence. Fearless confidence. I guess that would be a, a sort of a band I'd put over this session is how to have confident prayer, secrets to confident prayer, because prayer that's not confident, prayer that's lukewarm, prayer, prayer that's half-hearted, prayer that's half-doubting, it really doesn't go anywhere. James says, let no man think he'll receive anything from God if he's double-minded when he prays. So I I guess my goal tonight is help you, coach you, just encourage you in how to have confidence when you pray. And here's what they say. Grant us fearless confidence in preaching your message as you stretch out your hand to us in healings and miracles and wonders done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Here's the important part. While they were praying, wouldn't that be great tonight? The place where they were meeting trembled and shook. I mean, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. You've heard that phrase, right? But normally in prayer meetings, it's a little sleepy. It's kind of, you know, hey, I'm okay. Is he through yet? And that, but that's not the early church. The whole building began to tremble under a powerful presence of God that came down in that room. I want to ask you a question. How many of you would love this service to end with the whole building just convulsing with the power of God? Come on, now say amen. Okay, now we're, now we're on it. And then it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is not the day of Pentecost. This is Acts chapter 4. And they continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. In other words, if we pray tonight and ask God to give us that confidence the entire year of 2020, this church will be speaking the word with fearless confidence. Why don't you bow your heads just a moment. Let me pray that over you, and then I'm going to teach you how to have confidence. Father, 
I thank you for confidence. I thank you, Lord, that we're not uh, afraid. We're not timid. We're not hiding in a corner somewhere when we pray. But we know our enemies defeated. And we know who we are in Christ. And we know our position and possessions in the Lord. And I thank you that everybody here, Lord, is, is going to be like a New Testament believer. You're going to shake this building. You're going to fill us with your spirit yet again. And then we're going to go out of here confidently preaching your gospel to all of the state of Arkansas. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, clap your hands if you believe it today. I believe something confident. Now this year, I taught the whole book of Hebrews on Wednesday night. And it interested me because the first nine chapters, there was no mention of the blood of Jesus until chapter nine. And I got into the section on prayer and confidence. And it just says this, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. In other words, let's, let's get a grip on prayer. Let, let's get a grip on how to pray and hold fast. You know, I heard a story recently about a pilot uh, he was flying from Maine down to Boston. His name was Henry Dempsey. You've been on the little regional jets. Well, he was flying a small uh, pilot, private jet with two pilots. And as he's going along, he heard a noise in the back of the plane. So he turned it over to the co-pilot. He went to the back of the plane and discovered what the problem was. The back door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff. And when he reached for the back door... A, a gust of wind came into the door and immediately he hit the door and it flew wide open and he was sucked out of the plane. The co-pilot saw a red light come on the dashboard and realized that the rear exit door had opened and that the pilot was gone. He radioed the nearest airport, requested an emergency landing. This is a real story. This really happened. They were over water at the time, and he reported the pilot had fallen out of the plane, requested a helicopter search of that area. So he landed the plane in the emergency landing. When the plane came to a stop, you're never going to believe who was on the back of the plane. The pilot, Henry Dempsey. He had flown out and grabbed on to a ladder that was on the back of that plane and he had held onto that ladder for 10 minutes as the plane flew 200 miles an hour at 4,000 feet. In fact, when the plane landed, he had to keep himself up because his head was only 12 inches away from the runway as they were going down. What a wild way to land a plane. But the interesting thing was when they ran out and found him there, it took the ground crew personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers from the ladder. <laughs> I love that. Because when you start talking about prayer, baby, you better be like Dempsey hanging on to that ladder. And you know, in, ba in Baton Rouge, we call it, how did he survive? He hung on like a hare in a biscuit. How many of you ever heard that term? Isn't that edifying? Didn't that bless you? <laughs> but then, now, now, what causes some people's prayers to get answered and other people, they just turn loose and they just, well, it wasn't God's will or well, it wasn't any, I, you know, I can't fight the devil or well, I don't know, I'm just trying to hold on, I'm just trying to this and that. And we're going to put all that mentality away tonight. 
We're going to get like the early church. We're going to get confident. We're going to get bold in our prayer. We're going to ask great things from God. We're going to ask bold things, big dreams, big visions. We're going to believe for them. And we're going to go out and tell people that God is moving in our behalf. Can you say amen? Let me give you these. Now we start your outline. Four secrets of confident prayer. And I'm going to start with the first and put this in the blank, a clean conscience. And now I've shifted to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to give you these four things right out of that 10th chapter of Hebrews. If you want to go back later and study the whole chapter, you can. The verses are there. But let's start with what I would say to be the number one way you develop confidence in your prayer. Your prayer, by the way. Don't just have confidence in my prayer or Brother Rick's prayer. Oh, well, you know, if you'll pray for me, I know it'll work. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm trying to help you have confidence in your own prayer life. We're all growing in prayer, but I want you to leave this building today ready to go bear hunting with a switch. You know what I'm talking about. Some confidence. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. You need some confidence in your prayer. That's right. And let me tell you the number one problem, everybody. Look up here for me just a minute. I'm just, I'm just, I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm sharing. I'm imparting to you. The number one problem I find with Christians as to why they don't have confidence is they're always looking through the rearview mirror at their past. Years ago, I told this story a lot. I stopped at McDonald's to get a hamburger. I was on a trip. I, I, I didn't have time to eat it before I left. I wrapped it carefully, pulled out on the highway on Plank Road, you know, right close to where I live. And I'm leaving. I'm going up. It was Tulane at that time. I took my first big bite of the hamburger and a pickle squeezed from the bottom of the hamburger, baptized in mustard, and fell right on my pants. Nice pants. So I'm driving. Traffic's coming. But I took a napkin. I felt it. I moved, and I wiped away the pickle. I thought, just look down for a second. And my car drifted over. The lane and an 18-wheeler was coming right at me. I managed to swerve. He goes, whoa, bypass me. And I pulled off on the side of the road, and I'm just panting, just, just adrenaline, adrenaline. And the Lord spoke to me. He picks the strangest places to speak to me. He said, what's going on through the windshield is far more important than the pickle on your pants. Would, would you agree with that? I didn't even know God knew about pickles, but he does. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized I cannot look down in introspection at my life. I certainly cannot look through the rearview mirror and be studying what's going on behind me. My focus has got to be through the windshield at what's coming at me now. So we see sin's power in your life, really the devil's power over you is to remind you continually of what happened a mile past down the road. And I want to I help us with that because the Holy Spirit, you notice they were all filled with the Holy Spirit there in the book of Acts. When they pray, God give us confident prayer. They were first filled with the Holy Spirit. It is his job to remind you that you have been completely made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say that again. A hundred percent righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. He cannot apply his blood in a half measure. 
He cannot forgive three quarters of your sins, but a few, he's going to dangle them in your conscience. Now, the Old Testament was full of that kind of thinking. Every day, they had another sacrifice about the same sins. Every day. Every day, they saw their sins paraded in front of them. In fact, there's a scripture that says, otherwise, verse 2, they would not have ceased to be offered. The worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What a sad thing. Religion is so terrible because all it ever does is remind you of your past. But relationship with Jesus when you really know him personally, that he died on the cross. And by the way, he said, it is finished. It's over. It's done. Don't drag your stuff up at me anymore. It's over. I paid for it. It's clean. You're forgiven. So when I get ready to pray, immediately the devil reminds me of my failures in my past and my this and that. And I like what Martin Luther did. Martin Luther, the found, you know, the Reformation 500 years ago. Uh, the devil came to him and said, you know, you're a sinner, don't you? And started writing all of his sins on a piece of paper. And, and, and Martin Luther, I don't know if it was a vision, a dream or something. He said, is that all? And the devil said, no. And he wrote another page of all his sins. And he wrote page after page as Martin Luther would say, is that all? And he went 10 pages. The enemy finally finished. He said, is that all? He said, that's all. And Martin took the pen from him and wrote, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all, and he underlined it, sin. How many of you are glad for the blood of Jesus Christ tonight, right? Now there's our answer. That's number one. If guilt and shame and inferiority are in your life, that's coming from a sin consciousness. We got to get you free from that. You have to think differently. You have to say, the blood of Jesus has covered my past. I'm looking. Paul said, I forget those things that are behind. I reach forward for those things that are ahead. So you, you, you get that first principle. Everything's going to change. Your confidence level is going to go through the roof when you get ready to pray. Number two. For verse 19 says, therefore, brothers, because you've heard when there's a therefore, you need to know what it's. Therefore, right. Therefore, brother, since you understand about the blood and you understand about a clean conscience, since we have confidence, we got it now. Once our conscience got clean, now we got some confidence. Since we have confidence to enter, enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Okay, now you're with me. You're tracking with me. You got your conscience clean. He says, now you have some confidence that you can come into the holy places. Let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I like that. Full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That is so important. You can't go past that first step. And our bodies washed with pure water. What is he talking about confidence to have access? By the way, in your blank, please put full access. Full access. You know, uh, last week, Pastor Rick and I were at a rally, very sensitive rally, very important rally. And, and you, had to have, you had to have an access card to get in the entrance that we went into. And, 
And, you know, you got thousands of people outside and people everywhere. But we, all we needed was just a card. I carried mine in this pocket in my suit. And, and I just walked up and I just pulled that card out. They gave it to me. And, oh, okay, come right on through. Just, just went right on through. There's, a, there's an access that you can get. I met with our governor for six years. You know, I taught him every week the Bible. And, and uh, I, I just remember what it felt like to knock on the door the first time. I'd never been to the governor's mansion. And, and they opened the door. They welcomed me in. They brought me into his office. Here's his whole staff. Then they brought me in the kitchen. And they had cookies there. And they brought... And for those six years, I just roamed around the governor's mansion at will almost. Just, I had access. There's a certain confidence that comes when God says to you, you are welcome here. You are not an outsider. You're not a spiritual midget. You're not a person whose identity has disqualified them from being able to come up around me. In fact, the Father is inviting you. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're not my slave, my servant. You're my child. Would you, would you come on up here and please enjoy me? This is, a, this is a fullness of access, and only the Holy Spirit can reveal you how, to you how much God loves you. He just, he loves you. He, and in the morning when I pray, I wake up a lot before Melanie, and I, not every day. Some days I wake up pretty early, go in the living room. It's dark. I, I just love to get on my knees and lift my hands and say, good morning, Father. Can I mention something to you? Heaven is not a million miles away. Heaven is a dimension. And it's right there. It's a different dimension. You don't see it, but it's there. Access is a, is a mentality of just proceeding into the spiritual world. And you have the right of access to the Holy of Holies. Isn't that an amazing principle? So you get that first thing that your conscience is clean. You get the second thing, and here's the verse that I love about that, 1 John 5 and verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. By the way, that's the Bible. Anything in, his, in the Bible is his will. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, have, we already have it, the petitions that we've asked of him. If I walk into the throne of God and tell him I have a need and I lay it down in his lap and I walk out again, I have confidence he's taking care of it. Now, I had a truck engine blow up uh, back in September. My, my F-150, I don't know what happened. But the seventh piston just went out. And my mechanic came out real long faced. I thought it was a spark plug wire. He says, Larry, you're going to have to replace this engine. $7,000. I thought, it only has 100,000 miles on it. What is, what is he talking to me about? It felt weird. Like, what's going on? And it was confirmed at the dealership. And he said, you know, what do you want me to do? My wife is sitting there. She said, call Geico. <laughs> I said, Geico? I didn't have a wreck. She said, I think you should call Geico and tell them the truck's like worthless. I said, okay, just to get her off my back. Guys, listen to your wife. Come on now, man. I call them. The lady answers the phone from the, that particular area. She said, let me check your record. She says, you know you have mechanical breakdown insurance. I said, what's that? I really didn't even know about it. She said, how many miles do you have? I said, 103,000. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. It expired at 100,000 miles or it would have covered it. It's always like that, isn't it? Why, why is it always like that? She said, let me check one thing, though. Now, while I have to tell you this. 
Before I called Geico, we prayed, and I said, Lord, I am putting this thing in your hand. I don't want to spend $7,000, but $7,000, that's like the national debt or something. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so I said, Lord, I tell you what, I'm just going to give this over to you. How about that? That's just your department. So the lady gets back on the phone. She says, you know, Mr. Stockstill, you made the payment the last couple of months, we failed to tell you that it was up at 100,000 miles. We are legally bound to pay for that engine for your truck. Come on, somebody. I dropped the phone and let out a Comanche war whoop. Seriously. And I ran by. Another lady could hear me yelling in the apartment. I, I come running back. I said, did, did I understand you to say you're paying for And she said, that's right. You go to your guy, that, your mechanic, and have him call us, and we'll pay, we're going to pay for the whole thing. They did. Almost $7,000, and I drove away blessed and highly favored. Come on, say amen. <laughs> now, what is that all about? I'm not over-spiritualizing myself. I'm just saying, dude, I didn't know what to do. But I did have confidence it's not my department. I have access. God's got all the money. He knows what I need before I ask. I just handed it to him. Thank you, Father. And boom. Okay, let's go to number three. Let's, let's look at number three. He, it keeps going, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast. And now he says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's what I'm trying to help you with. I'm building your confidence in prayer, I'm getting you where you, you really feel confident. My conscience is clean. Yeah. And then I have access. I, God's looking for me to show up and ask him things because he, he wants to help me. He loves me. And the third thing is even better. It's this. Put it in the blank. A good confession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now, let me... Let me, let me just touch on this one. Confession is normally in a negative light. We think confession means I'm going to, I'm going to confess to somebody that I stole the turkey. Or I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to be honest. You know, George Washington, I chopped down the cherry tree. That's a, that's a confession. We always think of confession in a negative light, like on murder mysteries and all. He confessed. But actually, in the Bible, homologeo in Greek means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. And so when I say confession in the Scripture, the Bible talks about the good confession. It says Jesus testified the good confession before Pilate. It's not talking just about negative, and there is a negative side to that. But there's also a positive side to saying what God says. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully because confident prayer is always based on a scripture and a promise. If you ain't got a promise, you ain't got a prayer. Now, I'm t and I hear people try to pray, Lord, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. Well, he wants to help you. But it's just like a warranty for your vacuum cleaner. You know, they don't help you until you bring the warranty. There's a, there's a certain terms that you bought it under. And if it's still in those terms, like my truck was, they activate their resources. And that's why you must know the promises of God. And you come to God with what's called a good confession. Lord, your word says this. 
And I would like to take that promise, personalize it, put it in my mouth, and speak it back to you. That's saying the same thing as God. You remember the Old Testament? They sent 12 spies. Remember the story? 12 spies. 10 of them come back. They said, oh, it's cool. Man, they got grapes so big we had to carry them on a pole between us. They hung down, touched the ground. Man, the, you can't believe what it looks like. It's gorgeous. It's phenomenal. This land of milk and honey. It's, and they all said that, but 10 of them said, yeah, but we saw giants there. And we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And there's no way we're all going to die here. God brought us out here to die. And these 10 men began to say all this negative stuff. But Joshua and Caleb said, wait, 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 wait a minute. They don't have a chance against us. God has given them like bread in our mouth. We're going to whip them upside the head like LSU's going to beat Clemson. Wait, wait, wait. I don't know where that came from. I'm preaching now, Rick. I'm, I'm, I'm going. But, but what did they say? They, the two spies, lined their confession up with what God said. God told them, you're well able to do it. Now we see what happened. The ten never went in. The two went in because of what came out of their mouth. You know, five years ago, I had a real trial. I was playing golf a lot in the summer. It was very hot. And my doctor friend told me, take ibuprofen when you play golf and your joints won't get sore and you won't get stiff. I thought, oh, that's easy. So I started taking ibuprofen before I played. Well, I was preaching somewhere one night and I started feeling like really bad. And I never feel bad. I've never been in the hospital since I was born. I mean, I've been so healthy. And, and I went to Dallas to visit my son, and I felt so bad. I said, Joe, you need to take me to the hospital. I just feel like I don't know what's going on. I feel horrible. And they brought me and discovered my kidneys were not working. They had completely shut down. Long story. I took ibuprofen. When you dehydrate, it triples the strength of an ibuprofen tablet. By the way, that's just a by the way for you in case you ever do that. And it attacks your kidneys. It shut my kidneys, locked them completely down. You may have heard my story about this. I was in the hospital for seven days. They prepped me for dialysis. They said, your, your kidneys are completely gone. They're shot. They're, they're, they're not, not working. And my family all drove up from Baton Rouge. All my kids, grandkids, everybody. And they came in my hospital room that Monday night, Labor Day, five years ago in September, and we had a prayer meeting. Now, you know there's praying and then there's praying. How many of you know the difference in what I just said? You know, there's, Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. You know, there's that kind of praying. And then there's God. They're going to start dialysis tomorrow if you don't touch me tonight. It's a whole different thing. And God gave me Psalm 118. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. He gave it to me the first day I went in the hospital. And I began to confess that verse every day, all day. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Every, that one doctor came in. His face was so long, he looked like a Missouri mule eating sawbriars on a frosty morning. I'm not kidding, man. I mean, this guy said, dude, you, you have the worst kidneys we've ever seen. And you blah, 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 blah. I said, thank you, brother, for all the encouragement. I kept speaking the word of God. I don't know what you're walking through tonight. You've got to get a promise, and you've got to start slapping the devil upside the head with that promise coming out of your mouth. Now, I'm just telling you. We prayed that night, Lord, send a doctor in here that knows what to do. And the next morning, a lady arrived, and she said, we're going to do this. We'd never seen this lady. 
And they brought me down to surgery and they put some stents in my kidneys and boom, my kidneys opened just like that. And they were ready for me at the dialysis clinic and they said, we don't need to see him. He's op- that, his kidneys are working perfect. Three days later, I was out of the hospital. It's been five years I've been perfect for five years. Come on, somebody say amen. What am I saying? How's your confession or is your word lining up with what God says in his word? This is important. Hey, here's a little tip. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you speak God's word out of your mouth, your own spirit hears it. And if you're discouraged, your spirit gets encouraged when you say something out of your mouth. You say, I don't know a verse to say. We can help you with that. Okay, number four. Let's do the last one. There's confidence that comes when your conscience is clean. There's confidence that comes when you know you have access. There's confidence that comes when you know you have a promise and you speak it out of your mouth. But the fourth source of confidence is in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. To meet Together, and I love all our online audience. We love you. I'm an online audience a lot. I travel so much. Thank God for it. New day. But don't let online be how you do church. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Because when you pray and you're alone, you don't feel the level of confidence as when you're with two or three other believers. That's why Jesus said, when two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am. And if two or three of you shall agree as touching anything they ask, it will be done for them. There's a power in agreement. More power in agreement than there is in you alone. And so he said, so encourage one another the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let me just mention something about Belgian horses. Isn't that beautiful? Belgian horses are the strongest horses in the world. They really are. They're very powerful. One Belgian horse can pull 8,000 pounds. I mean, that's like, a, that's like a trailer, like a travel trailer or something. 8,000 pounds. But, and they're the strongest. Two of them should be able to pull how many pounds? Come on, Jethro Bodine. How many? 16,000. The interesting thing is they pull 24,000. One pulls eight, two pulls 24. Now you figure that out, it's synergy. There's no other way to describe it. Synergy gives far more power to two than one. Two are better than one, Ecclesiastes says. But can I, can I keep going? If the two horses had known each other and developed a relationship, they pull 32,000 pounds. That's right, that's double if they've just had any kind of a relationship, just put two horses that never met each other, they'd pull 24. But two that have had a little relationship, they've been around each other, 32. The world record, two Belgian horses that grew up from their time of birth, all of their lives pulled 52,000 pounds together. Now you're seeing the power of synergy and relationship. No wonder in the context of prayer in Hebrews 10, he mentions that you need some close companions. You need some people, like a friend of mine, Mark Harrell, Pastor Rick knows him well up in Kentucky. A lady got cancer in his church. 
She was heartbroken the day she went for her thir- first chemotherapy treatment. The door opens into the lab where they give the chemotherapy. And all the ladies from her small group walked in. They stood in front of her chair where the chemo's going into her for the first time. They told her, you're going to lose all your hair. And they all had on wigs. And she said, what in the world are y'all doing here? They said, well, we came to comfort and support you in this time. She said, why do you all have wigs on? They pulled them off. They had all shaved their heads. They said, we're going to wear these wigs with you until your hair grows back, just like ours. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've seen a lot of pastors. I ain't never seen one shave their head with somebody while they're going through chemo. When you have people around, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but you're feeling kind of alone in this problem and this trouble and this difficulty, and the devil tells you, you don't have powerful prayer. You, you're nobody. I'm, I'm, I'm the lion. You're the mouse. Get you about two or three believers around you, and you're going to rise up, and you're going to feel the enemy on the run because there's power in companionship. Keep your conscience clean. Keep your access full. Keep your confession good and keep your companions close. Now you're going to be confident. Who wants to have some confidence like the book of Acts when they felt the building shake? If you do, stand up on your feet right now. Come on. If that's you, you want some confidence in this building, just stand up. Come on, musicians. Somebody's going to come up to a keyboard right now. I think... yeah, there he comes. I, 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 think, I think the Spirit of the Lord is about to fall in here. You know, I got six minutes left in my message time. Isn't that wonderful? You ever known anybody to finish five minutes early? I did it on purpose because I want to pray over you. I'm going to run off every spirit of fear, timidity, half-heartedness, everything that the enemy has tried to tell you you're not. I'm going to speak what you are. I'm going to believe God that this is the greatest year of your life, this church, your business, your family. Now let's, let's just, everybody in this whole room, let's do like we're the upper room, like we're in Acts chapter 4. And what I want you to do, close your eyes and let's do what Timothy says. Let's lift up holy hands. Just don't worry about anybody else. They're not looking at you. They're looking at heaven. They got their eyes on heaven. But I just want right now you to feel, number one, a clean conscience. If you're here and you say, I live with condemnation, guilt, shame, and inferiority, and it's stopping my prayer life, I want you to let the blood of Jesus Christ wash over that sin. Confess that to the Lord in that negative way. Say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, wash me. Lord, cleanse me. And then I want you to never talk about it again to God. It's insulting to him for you to bring that back up to him when he's already dealt with that. Lord God, let this room be washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new right now, Lord. With your eyes closed, I want you to see yourself walking into the throne room where God is. He's waving to you. He's saying, come closer. Come closer. Don't stay away from me. Come closer to me. Love me. I love you. And I want you to let God's embrace. The Holy Spirit give you the the proximity to the Father. And let an embrace come around you. He says, access. I love you. Please come back every day. Please visit me every day. You're my child. Please let me hear your voice. Please, Please tell me how much you love me. And let me tell you how much I love you. 
Lord, I thank you for the anointing of serve, of sonship and daughterhood, an identity change going on inside people that have felt they would never be worthy for God to say, I love you. Would you bless them in the Lord right now? I thank you in this third area, those going through a trial like I was in the hospital. I pray the word would begin to come up into their mind. The word of God, if you need healing, the word of God says he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Matthew 8, 17. Just start with that one. And just say, Lord, I agree with your word. I, I say the same thing as you. You said you are the Lord, my healer. I believe it. I agree with your word. If you have a financial need, he said, I'll supply all your need according to my riches and glory. Philippians 4, 19. Tell the Lord, I agree with that, Lord. My finances are in your hands. My children are in your hands. My body, my health, my business is in your hands. You said, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Lord, I give you every care in my life. Just give it to the Lord right now. And out of your mouth, say, thank you, Lord. I believe you have it. You've got it. You're in that department. I trust you in my mouth. My confession will remain positive and full of faith. And then I thank you, Lord, for agreement. Would you just do what we did a moment ago? Join the hand of a couple of people beside you. And let us agree. Let's see this building begin to shake under the power of God. I want you to pray out loud. I don't want you to whisper. Nobody will hear you, I promise you. But out of your mouth, I want you to begin to call on the Lord to visit New Life Church in 2020. Call on the Lord in the 6 a.m. prayer meetings that he is going to show up. And he is going to move. And I want that volume level to begin to go up. I want you, Lord, right now, let the companionship of 12, 1,500 other believers begin to embolden and empower and shake the people in this room, to shake this building, to shake Conway for Jesus Christ, even an old religious spirit that hovers over this region. Lord, we thank you. You are removing witchcraft curses and you're removing demonic bondages and unclean, perverted spirits. Lord, even the demonic powers over Little Rock as the capital of Arkansas, we take authority over you today. In the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your goodness. And we give you all the praise and all the wonderful glory tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, new life. Let's begin to give the Lord a great shout of praise if you believe it tonight. Come on, let that praise begin to go up out of your heart to the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord God.